Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That it, with your AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. And of course, yes, we will also talk about NXT on today's episode, but we are mostly here to talk AEW as it powers ahead to one of its four major pay-per-views of the year. I do have vintage Chris Benini with me. He's by my side today to break down this entire card front to back. We'll talk about every single match on AEW for here. We'll go through the storylines that preceded them on Rampage and Dynamite. We will give our predictions for the matches and discuss what it means for AEW going forward. Of course, as I said, we will also be talking about NXT on today's show. That'll be the second half, I guess maybe the second quarter, or the fourth quarter, I guess, of, of today's show, really. Uh, we'll talk about everything that happened on this week's episode on Tuesday. So a huge show to get to, uh, plenty to talk about. That means I just need to do a couple things here off the top. First, remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please do not forget to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Every time you guys leave a rating or review, it helps boost the show. I I just appreciate every single time I see one of those. And I know that you guys taking those 30 to 60 seconds out of your day to do that, it just means a lot, uh, you know, knowing that you support the show and are helping us push forward. Speaking of supporting the show, I want to give a shout out here uh, right off the top to none other than at JMags316 on Twitter. He lists his name as JMags, who brought not just a getting over sign to AEW Dynamite. He bought a beautiful getting over sign to AEW Dynamite. It was black, gold and white in our colors. I tweeted about it. It was all over the show on Wednesday, the go home show to full gear. So thank you, JMags for bringing that. And because you brought a sign and got it on TV, as is the rule here on getting over, we haven't actually been able to, you know, make it happen yet for anyone because I don't think anyone's done it that it's gotten on TV. Although I have seen some of your signs, Uh, you know, you guys have sent them to me on Twitter. Uh, He's going to be on the show at some point. I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but maybe he gets to either request a segment that he joins us. Maybe it's a pay-per-view rewind. Maybe he comes to talk about AEW or WWE one week, whatever J Mags wants, he is going to get as a thank you for getting our sign on television. And speaking of uh, supporting the show, speaking of five-star ratings and reviews, bringing signs to TV and pay-per-views, how about you also give us a follow on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Uh, we tweet uh, live during the major television shows every week and pay-per-views as well. We also release our episodes on Twitter so you guys know when they go live. And normally we do live pay-per-view previews about an hour and a half before they begin. Uh, unfortunately, due to AEW Full Gear being on a Saturday, Chris and I both working in college football and being extremely busy that day, it's just not going to be possible for this Saturday. Uh, but we will certainly do it in the future, and we will have an instant analysis podcast right here for you as soon as AEW Full Gear goes off the air. So, uh, Chris, I'll let you get in here. Uh, I'm excited for this pay-per-view. I, I, it sounded like you were excited that J-Mags got a uh, sign for us on TV. Uh, but I think AEW has done really a phenomenal job building towards this pay-per-view. Yeah, it's it's been a mix of long-term stories and short-term stories. And in any time, you know, they only do a handful of pay-per-views a year as opposed to every month, you kind of got to find that balance of how to tell your stories. And they've done it. 
I, I, I don't think some of these stories are great, but they have all received generally enough build. We kind of know what yeah. the stakes are. We know who the people are. We know we've been told why this matters. And I think that's that's the number one thing you want to do. And that's the number one thing AEW always does. They, they try to make it feel like what you're watching matters. There's certainly a number of storylines heading into the show that are, I mean, they're shorter than WWE storylines. Like yes. just things that were thrown together to put on this card. Basically, the goal for AEW, in my opinion, was this. They're like, look, our last pay-per-view, we debuted Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. We hooked you in, right? Now, if you're still watching the product from that, or maybe you caught or heard about that pay-per-view and you're interested in watching our next pay-per-view, we're going to give you a, you know, I'm not going to say WrestleMania equivalent card because it's it's not exactly that, but we're going to give you an absolutely stacked loaded card and try to put our best possible foot forward here to show you what we can do, right? Like you watched the the, the New York show, the Queen show, you, you saw the returns or the debuts, I should say. Now we're going to, this is our next entree. This is our next opportunity to put something really great in front of you. And we're going to try to do that. And that's what I believe the effort was here. Even though some of the storylines were rushed, um, some of the matches I'm not particularly fond of. That's just me personal. But I, I think the effort was there clearly from Tony Khan and AEW to put all of their major stars on one card. And that's yeah. basically what they did with the exception, obviously, of John Moxley, who's currently uh, getting treatment uh, for personal uh, alcoholism and things like that. So let's get to it. Uh, we are going to talk about AEW full gear in totality, but there were three things that happened on TV this week that had nothing to do with full gear. So let's knock those out, get them out of the way, and then we'll talk about full gear. First on Rampage, we had the TBS uh, tournament match, the Bunny against Red Velvet. Bunny was setting up for her finisher when Red Velvet countered with final slice uh, to win the match in a couple minutes. It was very short. It just feels to me, Chris, like there's always some combination of the bunny red velvet and Anna J on television, like, and Penelope Ford too. It just feels like whatever the women's matches, one of them are generally in it. Uh, velvet does move on here to fight Jade Cargill. I assume she's going to get crushed, even though they've already fought recently uh, for a match in the semifinal spot of the tournament. I will say the TBS tournament has it been better than Queen's Crown? Absolutely, because I could wrestle Chris and we could put on a better women's tournament than Queen's Crown, considering nothing actually happened in that tournament. But at the same time, it also hasn't been particularly exciting either. Yeah, I, I think it's what what I think that's a good way of putting it. And mentioning kind of Penelope or NJ or Red Velvet Bunny being in there, it feels like those are like the mid card of the women's division who can take a loss, can take a win. They're kind of just floating there as as people to be involved when they need to be. And, and, and I don't, I don't want to say fed to the higher tier, but that's just kind of how it works in, in wrestling. So, you know, and, and they can work Red Velvet's, you know, getting better. Um, so, yeah, I didn't have a ton of thoughts on this kind of just. I just want to see in the next. I, I just want to see the main event women more like you right. can make an argument in WWE. The main event women wrestle too much, but yes. in AEW, they don't wrestle enough. Yep. And there's yep. definitely a middle ground in there. Like, I would love to see, um, you know, let's say Liv Morgan versus Dana Brooke go for seven minutes on TV. I'm not saying that that would be the most exciting match, but I would like to see that more frequently. AEW gives us the equivalent of that, but they don't give us, you know, Thunder Rosa versus, I don't know, Jamie Hayter. Like, that's a great yeah. singles match I would love to see on AEW yeah. television. 
we don't get those. We don't get Hikaru Shida against, you know, Jamie Hayter, or, you know, or Nyla Rose or the Bunny on TV, even just using one of those women in that spot. And that's just what I'd like to see more from the women's division, along yeah, with longer yeah. matches, too. Yes. And it, honestly, Jade Cargill's 2 1. I mean, she's supposed to be a star. We kind of just, we got to see her more. I she's think. That, never on TV. Right. Like, and and that, that's one of the issues with AW with having such a big roster and only three hours of TV time. If you don't watch Elevation or Dark, you're just not seeing certain people over periods of time. And also only giving the women one segment per show, no matter what. Like, this is the go home to the pay-per-view. They gave them one segment. Every week, it's one segment. So, I don't know. It's just frustrating. All right, we'll keep going here. On Dynamite, uh, Wardlow fought Wheeler Utah. Uh, Wardlow hit four power bombs and a draping knee strike for the squash win. Look, Wardlow's awesome. Uh, I love him. But man, they do absolutely nothing with Wardlow at all. Isaiah Cassidy and Blade ran in to attack best friends after the match. Then Matt Hardy hit a twist of fate with a chair wrapped around Orange Cassidy's neck. My first thought was, this feud is still going on. My <laughs> second thought was, why the hell is this feud still going on? Zero point zero. I figured maybe they're building for like a kickoff show match for full gear. They're maybe. not even doing that. I, no. I just, I'm done with this. I've been done with it for a month. Why is it still happening? I just don't understand. I, I, it, I think, it, have they announced a kickoff show match? Yeah, they did. We'll get to it, yeah. Okay, I, I I missed it. Um, yeah, uh, no other thoughts other than Wardlow is awesome and it's good to see him, and the HFO remains extremely weird to me. It's just a random collection of guys who have no nothing to do, to each, have yeah. no connection to each other at all, and it's a real shame because there's a lot of talented guys. And man, you know, I, I've talked before about AEW adding so many stars and in some other other talent getting pushed down, and I think no greater example of that than private party which is just kind of completely oh, yeah. disappeared and they're just kind of doing this so and Wardlow, who is someone that we thought could be yeah a tnt champion by now more than that and he's just mjf's muscle but he's almost never with mjf and pinnacle exists but somehow it doesn't anymore like it's it's just really strange um the way they're handling him uh lastly before we get to full gear we had dante martin and leo rush against matt seidel and lee moriarty Leo got a crazy sequence on his own, including a pair of bottom rope tope suicidas. Martin did an awesome springboard sunset flip powerbomb on Moriarty. Moriarty tossed Martin off the top rope for a near fall. Martin then hit a tightrope springboard moonsault at Leo's direction for the win. I thought it was a really exciting match. A ton of athleticism. There was just no tagging or rules or anything <laughs> like that. And it was, to me, nothing more than really a spot fest. After the first two minutes, there was storytelling in the first two minutes with Seidel trying to keep the one guy who used to be his protege, the other one who currently is apart from fighting each other. But outside of that, it, there was no rhyme or reason really to the match. The four guys are great in the ring. It slapped. It was entertaining. It just wasn't really more than that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was it was entertaining. It was fun seeing some of the moves. But, you know, five minutes after it's over, you don't really think about it again. Right. We'll never even think about the storyline or feud or anything like that ever again. Okay, so that that's the extra stuff, which is good because that means AEW really spent a lot of time building towards full gear on its two. I guess the other Rampage wasn't a go-home show, but it basically was considering the next Rampage is one night before the pay-per-view. Anyway, it's time to move into the main event of today's show, which is that AEW full gear ultimate preview. So as I said earlier, Chris, let's start out by acknowledging that this card is stacked. 
And I personally have four matches on the card that could be match of the night. They're my contenders for match of the night. We'll get to them as we go. And really out of the nine matches that have been announced, I think there's only two or three that I don't care about, which is really, really good for a pay-per-view, you know, that's important for AEW. So going in, I am um, very, very positive. I have a very positive mindset of full gear. Yeah, in, in the matches that I think I'm with you, there's probably three that I, I would say I don't care about all that much, but I think they're going to be really interesting matches. So sure. I, like, I think they'll be entertaining and fun. So yeah, there's there's nothing really on this card. I'm like, oh, that's going to kind of, it's going to kind of be a lull. So I, I'm curious how the pacing of the show is going to go. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, so the way we're going to do the ultimate preview is the exact same way we always do the ultimate preview, which is we're going to start at the bottom of the card, the low card, and work our way all the way up to the main event. And then within each match that we discuss, we're going to talk about what happened on Rampage and Dynamite, setting the stage for the match before we give our predictions, uh, our picks for who's going to win, and what we think about the storyline, how it's going to move forward from there. So the first is the buy-in match. You didn't even know what it was because they didn't announce it until they flashed the card up at the end of Dynamite. It's Nyla Rose and Jamie Hayter. Why are they teaming? I have no idea. <laughs> against Thunder Rosa and Hikaru Shida. Why are they teaming? I have no idea. Uh, so there's no storyline here. It's a women's tag team match. I think it could be good because the wrestlers in the match are good. I think the faces win because it's the buy-in and it wouldn't really make any sense for the heels to lose uh, to win. My guess is that, I don't know, Hikaru Shida pins Jamie Hayter. That, that's your match. Yeah, I, no real thoughts other than I like a lot of these people involved, and so it should be entertaining. But um, yeah, the typical kickoff match, dark match, whatever you want to call it. But it tells you what we're talking about with the women's storytelling, where the main event for the women, the, same, the only match for the women um, on the main card, it has a decent story. Not really a great one, though, if we're being honest. Right. And they didn't even make any time to build the secondary storyline. They just no. threw a match and that, together. And, and that's been an issue with AEW the whole time. Secondary whole time. women, secondary women's stories. If it's not about the champion, they have not done much. And that's exemplified uh, by this card. And even this case, the women's match, the, the singles match for the title, it from a storytelling perspective, it takes a backseat to everything else on the card, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no there's really no story. Someone won a number one contendership. That that's it. Like that's that's the whole storyline, which is fine. We, we we like that. We like people winning number sure. one contenderships, but they honestly have not built a ton of story between. I guess we're not into that match yet. Well, but, you know what? Let's just do it here. Yeah, I was going to save it for later. But since we're talking about the women women's championship, it's Britt Baker uh, defending against Ty Conti. And we'll, let's talk about what happened on Dynamite and then we'll go into it on Dynamite. We had Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter and Rebel against Ty Conti, Anna Jay, and Thunder Rosa. Conti appropriately got the biggest run in the match with three big boots and then a tie KO on Hater for a near fall that was broken by Baker. Rosa did a really crazy dangerous crossbody from the top rope outside where she flattened Hater. And I thought Hater got hurt. I guess she didn't cool. considering they announced the match, um, but good because she landed really hard. Conti then did a hook DDT for the win while staring at Baker who slinked away. The goal of the match was to strengthen Conti before full gear, and I thought that worked. Though maybe it would have been better for Conti just to go one-on-one -on -one with Hater, beat someone clean in a singles match, that way she gets the full shine. Instead, you have three face women that are celebrating and get the win, rather than the one who needed that push in the go-home show ahead of the pay-per-view. 
That's at least what I would have booked, a one-on-one match with Hayter. Either way, it was a really typical short match with a long commercial break in the middle, but the faces did win. So, Chris, did you have any thoughts on that match? And if not, just go talk about the uh, the full gear match. Yeah, just that bump that Jamie Hayter took. I don't know if she was too close or Thunder Rosa was too high on the jump, but it looked rough. It looked like Thunder Rosa was checking on it right after that happened. Yeah. Um, but match was fine. The, the ending with Britt Baker choosing not to break up a pin, essentially, was interesting. I, I, I'm not really sure what to make of it because she, she broke up a pin earlier in the match, so it's not something right. she didn't want to do. I mean, maybe she just maybe the idea is she just wanted to get out of there, didn't want to keep fighting, wanted to rest herself. Maybe could have been made clear, but no, it was fine. I mean, Ty Conti looked good. She she stands tall at the end. Whether it's a tag match or, or another, doesn't make that much of a difference to me. I, I'm okay with getting more women just into the match and getting some TV time and matching. So it, it was fine. And as for this match, yeah, it's it's you know Ty Conti's got a lot of support from fans. She's she's really grown as a wrestler in AEW. I think the specific Brit and Ty Conti feud itself has not really been built much. We haven't had much face-offs and stuff like that. It's just kind of we know they're going to fight and they're being kind of kept apart until they fight, which is actually how a lot of these Britt Baker feuds have gone, strangely, where she's not having these interactions with the person until they kind of have their match. I don't know if that's by design or what, but um, yeah, so if we're doing picks here, um, my, yeah, my you can pick keep is... Going. My, my pick is my pick is uh, Britt Baker. Yeah, you know Britt Baker. We see her on TV either in a match like this. Granted, she did the Abaddon match, which was different and special for Halloween. Yes, but either that or she's in a backstage segment with the other two women and Tony Schiavone, and she talks for fifteen seconds and then it's over. Like so, there's been no build for this match. Like granted, again, she won. Ty Conti won the number one contendership and got the opportunity. Great, that's awesome. But f- then you take that. And that should be an entree into a storyline. Uh, Britt Baker saying she sucks, that she hasn't actually improved since she got to AEW. Fans just sympathize with her. Or all, like there's so many other ways you, as a heel you could build a storyline out of this. You know, the, 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 you know what we dig it. The Britt Baker, Ruby Soho promo they had in the ring. That was that was one of the best things they've done. Yes. With Britt Baker. And that really made that created a lot of heat for the match. We haven't gotten that here. Well, but you know what that also tells you? Ty Conti probably can't cut a promo. Certainly not the way Ruby Soho can, and certainly not the way Britt Baker can. So they maybe felt, hey, I don't know that we can get her to live up to this. Also, a lot of the other women, to be fair to AEW, they're competing in the TBS tournament. So I guess the idea is maybe, hey, Conti's not in that tournament. Let's give her the title match here. Let's have the rest of the women do this other thing that is really important to us. But still, that's not really an excuse. You have four pay-per-views a year, and there's one big women's match on the show and it's not even that big. I mean, there, I can tell you, you know, going through this card, let me just do a quick count. One, two, three, four, five. There's at least five matches more important than this. Oh, yeah. Based Absolutely. on storytelling. Oh, yeah. Anyway, you nailed you nailed everything you said. Britt Baker is going to win. If you're going to have Baker lose the title, you have her lose the title to someone that you're building up. And they didn't build up Conti enough to have her win. So it's just not going to happen here. Uh, okay, let's move on to the rest of the card. Uh, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express versus the Super Click in a Falls Count Anywhere match. So how did we get here? On Rampage, Adam Cole fought John Silver. Silver ducked the last shot with a lariat and folded Cole with a German suplex. Per the Young Bucks put Cole's foot on the bottom rope to break a fall. Dark Order ran down. Silver blocked a low blow and hit Cole with 
one of his own, plus a spinning Liger Bomb for a 2.5 count that popped the crowd huge. Cole caught Silver with two super kicks and the last shot for the win. I thought the match was a lot of fun given the speed at which both of those guys can work. It was just nonstop, really, really strong TV main event, 3.5 stars, and a B is what I gave it. On our AEW show last week, Chris, you were not here, but I said the concerto that Christian gave to Cole was completely unnecessary as part of the brawl they were doing. But if they wanted to sell it, then it would be a good way to keep Cole out until the pay-per-view. Instead, not only did they not do that, he wrestled two days later, not two weeks later, two days later. I found that to be completely ridiculous. The concerto has retired wrestlers, yet Cole is back, not two weeks, but two days later in action and winning the match. I think it just proved my point from a week ago. Yes, it was insane for that to happen. You, you, you gotta, you gotta protect moves and events. And that's, you know, something that AEW just has not done a lot with its wrestling style style. This Cole Silver match was awesome. I loved it. I, I love seeing John Silver be able to go like that. But they also didn't sell anything. Right. And it's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Now, you, you mentioned last week, I think, too, you were kind of unaware of the Cole, um, John Silver little feud and, and budge and I'm stuff still, like that. I'm still unaware of it. Yeah. It's from it's from BTE. It's honestly the best thing going on BTE where John Silver and Alex Reynolds are trying to tell Cole that his gimmick sucks and they're trying to give him a new gimmick. They say, you know, his entrance, he says it's all about the boobs. He should change his name to he should change his name to Budge. He should cut his hair. He should be a manager. It's really it's it's really funny. But if you don't watch BTE, yeah, you're not going to get it. And, so, and so but isn't that, that. A, isn't that a problem when yeah, yeah. when your your audience of one point one, maybe sometimes million people on Dynamite or 600,000 people on Rampage are watching inside jokes from a YouTube video that you don't even bother to show a clip of on the show. Like there's no, I know for a fact, yeah. 1.1 million people or even 600,000 people, I think at least, no. aren't watching BTE every week. No. So no, it, yeah, that's a problem for me. No, it is it, it, I, like, honestly, like if you're going to do that, do a short little video package or something to just explain why this is happening. Like, like kind of like what they do, what they do with Dark and Elevation, which is, hey, this happened yeah, sometimes on Dark they do. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, right, just, right. Let's do that. Like, like you can do that. Honestly, I think the the coal silver stuff on BT is so funny. It should be on Dynamite and, and Rampage, but it's not. But yeah, I can understand why if you don't watch that, uh, you don't under you don't understand it at all. But I also will say that it is the thing I'm, I look forward to most every week. Oh, BT. OK, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, I watched BT for a long time, but it got yeah. to a point. I think it was early in the pandemic or at some point in the pandemic where it got to a point where I'm like, I just can't really do this anymore. Um, yeah, it's hit and miss. I think I think it's back in a good swing right now, though. Cool. All right. Also, we had on Dynamite Jungle Boy against Anthony Bowens. Max Caster helped Bowens get out of the snare trap with a distraction. Jungle Boy hit a tope suicida on Caster. Then Bowens caught him with a great draping, swinging neckbreaker style move for a near fall. Jungle Boy then countered Bowens and locked in the snare trap while giving Caster the finger, the middle finger that is, for the win. Bobby Fish then ran down after the bell to attack Jungle Boy. He had an exploder into the ropes. When Christian and Luchasaurus cleared the ring, Cole then backstage vouched for Fish to the Young Bucks. They made an undisputed era remark and set up a match on Rampage. So I thought the match was good. The Fish attack 
it, it felt unnecessary, I guess, to some degree. I wish they had said it was retaliation for the concerto, right? Like they made, they drew the line between those two things because now you have Jungle Boy agreeing to a match two days after an attack, one day before a pay-per-view. It's like with Brian Danielson. We'll talk about him later, but why is Danielson? I, I mean, I, I'm happy he's wrestling on every show. Trust me. I, I love, it's basically my favorite wrestler at this point, <laughs> but, but why is he randomly wrestling against someone who's not even in AEW ahead of a pay-per-view number one contendership match against Miro who can rip his head off, right? Like to me in kayfabe, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but look, it's also nothing to really get worked up about. Uh, the match on Dynamite here with Jungle Boy and Bowens, it was fun. It just didn't, the sell for the pay-per-view was the post-match attack with Bobby Fish, who's not even involved in the match at the pay-per-view. So, Yeah, I mean, we, we got two Bowens matches here, and, and you know he, he got to go a bit, and it, it was good. Um, yeah, not much other to say, other than, I mean, Max Caster had some good good uh, lines on his entrance, the, the line to Dana Bryan about John Laurinaitis. And well, that's a different off. segment. We're going to talk about that later. Yeah. I have the audio okay. for that. We're, we're yeah, playing yeah. that, trust me. So I wasn't sure what we were talking about here, but... Um, but uh, yeah, no, you kind of said it. As far as the match goes, uh, it's the three faces, Christian and the uh, Jurassic Express against the Super Click in a Falls Count Anywhere match. This is one of the few matches on the card that I really think can go either way because you can totally make a case for the Super Click winning. You can totally make a case for Christian Cage and Jurassic Express winning. I, I And I don't exactly know what the right answer is because... I really am stuck. Um, I think it could go either way. I think there's going to be on this card, I presume, a lack of heel victories. At least that's what I think is Hmm. going to be the case, at least in major matches. So I kind of want to say the super click wins here because think about if there, since it's false count anywhere, it's basically no DQ. They've already established they have Bobby Fish on their side. They also have the other two Jokers, you know, Brandon Cutler and Nakazawa. Theoretically, that could help them. Whereas Jurassic Express and Christian, the only person they would have is Marco Stunt, who's conspicuous by his absence. I don't know where he is. So I think due to outside interference, I'm going to go with the super click here. But I don't really have a good handle on who should win this match because I don't have much of a reason to root for either team, either root for the faces or expect the heels to win because something is coming up next for them. Yeah, I, I'm going with the super click to win. I, I got to say, I just Jungle Express and Christian Cage together just has not done anything for me. It, it just kind of feels like another one of those pairings. So people have stuff to do. You know, Christian is, is great on his own, but he's, you know, after the Kenny Omega stuff, he's kind of just floating. Jurassic Express hasn't, you know, last couple months, they haven't really been involved in tag team stuff. They're just kind of doing the same match over and over with different people with the super click. So I don't even think a loss here hurts them for that reason. I do like the falls count anywhere. My that that might be my favorite stipulation in wrestling because it just it, it allows for so much creativity and you don't have to do the weird thing of getting back in the ring. So I'm really excited for this. I think they're going to have some really awesome spots, probably some some really fun, quirky things. Um, but I'm going to pick the super click here because I don't think the team of Christian and Jurassic Express needs any type of win for any reason here. Yeah, I mean, technically, I don't think either of them need the win. And the thing that's going to be interesting also is you have four flippy shit guys, Luchasaurus, who does his fair share of high-flying stuff, and then 
old ass Christian in this match. So like he is really an outlier to the other five dudes in this match. I am really curious to see the dynamic and how it's going to work. I do think it's going to be a really good match. It's going to be a really fun match. I don't know that I'll give it a high grade, but I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of fun, very entertaining. Um, let's keep going here. We have the inner circle against men of the year and American top team. And I believe it's a 10 man Minneapolis street fight is what they're calling it. Uh, so on Dynamite, we had Inner Circle. They came out for an interview when the heels attacked them from behind on the ramp. Junior Dos Santos punched Sammy Guevara in the gut and used a kendo stick. They rolled Chris Jericho into the ring and two guys helped Dan Lambert powerbomb him off the middle rope through a table. Men of the Year promised to win Saturday with Lambert pinning Jericho. Lambert then put him in the walls of Jericho and Ethan Page screamed. The only way I can compare it is as, as, as if like he was in a mall and someone stole his child. Like, he was just screaming at the top of his lungs at the end of this thing. Look, you guys know I'm not into this feud at all. I've said it millions of times on this podcast. But the nice thing I'm going to say about this is I cannot think of anything better that they could have done for the go-home. This was the best possible, given how long this feud has gone, go-home segment to build this match. It got extra heat on the heels. It gave people more reason to root for Inner Circle going into the match. The attack was weak. Because the MMA guys, they really don't know how to throw fake punches, which is really to their credit as real fighters. Um, But I think it did work from top to bottom to get more heat going into it. And it also spared us Chris Jericho making lewd remarks about Paige Van Zandt while Dan Lambert rants and says the exact same thing for the 80th time. So it got them off the mic. It got the action happening. That was good. As far as the the match, and you can go through all of this, Chris, uh, when I'm done. As far as the match, if they put men of the year and t- American top team over, I think I'm going to lose my mind. Okay, inner circle. They don't, inner circle does not need the win because they're established. But this is a great moment on a pay-per-view to, to allow the crowd some catharsis to just boo and jeer and hate Dan Lambert and American top team and just shit on them, not only during the match, but in the finish it gives them an opportunity to really pop for Chris Jericho and Inner Circle. So I think you absolutely have to take that and have the faces win. This bit on Dynamite, I think, was the best segment we've ever gotten from American Top Team. Like, they just did pro wrestling things. You know, they, it wasn't the same annoying promo. It wasn't some of that other stuff. They just did classic wrestling heel stuff. They sneak attack somebody, and then you've got... You know, Dan Lambert doing the power bomb, Dan Lambert doing the submission, saying he's going to be the one to pin him. Like, like we've hated Dan Lambert through all of this stuff, but now we have a nice, like, pro wrestling reason to hate him because he's embarrassing one of the top faces and stuff like that. It got real heat on them. This, this, this finally felt like they're doing pro wrestling things, and it and it worked. I, I thought this was a great, great segment. Essentially, I guess a go home segment ahead of this match. Um, my pick is the inner circle. You're going to have to kind of do it in a smart way. So you don't have necessarily all these pro wrestlers beating all these, uh, MMA guys. You're going to have to get Dos Santos and, and Arlovsky out of the way somehow. So, so it, 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 they can kind of essentially save face for, for losing a fight. But, um, yeah, I'm excited for this. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for this now after that go home segment. I, I think the inner circle wins. I think it's a fun little, fun little deal. It's going to be fun. I hope it is short. Yes. I don't want this to be a 25 minute thing. You know, Minneapolis street fight. So we'll, we'll see. It'll Give probably me be, 10 minutes. You know. Have inner circle win. do some huge spots, 
Let Dos Santos take a table spot. I would love to see that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, let's have these guys do some stuff. And and that would make it really, really entertaining. Uh, Tag team championship. We have the Lucha Brothers defending against FTR on Rampage. MJF accepted a payoff from Andrade El Idolo's dude. And FTR cut a short promo calling out the Lucha Brothers. There's really nothing much to it. On Dynamite, we had Dax Harwood against Pac. There was some great back and forth wrestling to start with AEW putting it so, itself over on commentary to an annoying degree. And I will talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Pac hit a great tope. And then much later, an equally good avalanche brainbuster. Harwood got a brainbuster of his own for a near fall. Dax stopped uh, Black Arrow and hit a falling backdrop. Then there were multiple chants for both guys. The match, this is awesome. AEW. Um, there may have even been a fight forever. I don't remember. Dax got another near fall after an assisted Liger bomb. Pac then countered a backslide and Dax immediately tapped in submission. Uh, so Cash Wheeler attacked when Pac refused to release the hold. The lights went out. Malachi Black and Andrade joined the beatdown. Then the Lucha Brothers came down the ramp while Cody Rhodes ran through the crowd. And my first thought was, why is Cody running through the crowd when he's an EVP who they always show is backstage with a headset on? Why is he in the VOM? Why is he up no, at the concourse? My thought with Cody Rhodes was, was he sitting up there waiting the whole time specifically for Malachi Black to appear? <laughs> like, what's he doing up there? Anyone, any other wrestler, if it's Mox, if it's even... You could make me believe Brian Danielson's up there or someone else, right? But why is EVP Cody in the concourse? I, 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 I just want to know about his, I just want to know about his timing and the timing of it. Yeah, everything. So, all right. First of all, the match was great. It was an yes. awesome match. Four stars and an A minus. Just an absolute load of fun. Top tier wrestling from start to finish. There was no real stakes to it, but as far as the post match, it was to set up a tag team match for full gear. It was just an odd way to do it. The Lucha Brothers, the actual champions, were easily the least important piece of everything that happened here. And that to me is a shame. So let's you can talk about this match and all this first. Then we'll talk about the Lucha Brothers FTR match. Then we'll talk about the Cody match. Wait, so, so which match are we doing right now? Uh, you talk about what happened on Dynamite and then okay. you can lead that into the tag team title match for the pay-per-view. Yeah, so the, I mean, the singles match was great. I, I I really loved Dax tapping out right away, and commentary saying, "Yeah, he doesn't want to like get himself too hurt for this championship mm-hmm. match, so he's just gonna tap on out." Like it's like a little thing that's such a big deal. So yep. I love that. Um, yeah, and then the whole post match thing was like way too much, all at once, all the time. I haven't the previous couple weeks before this past week, I hadn't watched AW all that closely because had some work stuff going on, but Malachi black and Andrade, did we know that they were a team or is this the first time? So we'll get to that. Let's, let's save that. Let's talk okay, about FTR okay. and Lucha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 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 because that's a whole yeah. thing. That's so, the whole so, thing so, yes. I'm going to get into. Yeah. yeah. But you're right that FTR and Lucha brothers did basically get overshadowed in this. And, and it, it, it's kind of weird. Like, like I like we love FTR, we love the Lucha Brothers, but just a lot of the build for FTR matches is just missing something a, a lot of the time. And you know, I, I'm excited for this match. It should be a great match. Who's going to win? I this is hard. I mean, do you think this is hard to pick, or do you have no? An obvious I think pick? this is incredibly easy, actually. All right, then you go. I'm curious okay. What you think. Uh, so look, uh, FTR won those AAA titles off of the Lucha right. Brothers, and it's like, yeah. why did that happen? Uh, I don't know. And it, you know, best I can tell from reading online, there's no direct AAA story 
um, you know, creating for them to do that. So I have no idea why that happened in the first place. Forbidden uh, door. I guess. Yeah, sure. But, but there's no storyline. There's no like no, reason, right? No, um, just, yeah. Lucha brothers just won the AEW tag team titles. I think it was at the last pay-per-view and we were talking about, well, you know, we thought Santana and Ortiz were going to win them at the queen show. That didn't happen. Uh, I don't see much of a reason for FTR to be the AEW tag team champions at this point when the Lucha Brothers just got the titles. Unless the Lucha Brothers can't be in America, in the United States, they have to go back to Mexico for some reason. Like, I, There's just no reason in, that I can come up with to have these titles change. What I think is going to happen is the Lucha Brothers win and retain their titles. And then at some point soon, they do a title versus title match where they put the AEW titles up on the line against the AAA titles and then the Lucha Brothers end up winning them back and get both sets of championships again. That's a guess. I have no proof that's what's going to happen. But this is an easy spot to put a face team over. The Lucha Brothers are beloved by the crowd. I think this match, by the way, is going to bang. I said yes. there's like four matches that could potentially be match of the night. This one, if it gets the time, has the potential to be match of the night. Two completely different wrestling styles that I think are going to mesh extremely well together. FTR can go with anyone. So... I'm really looking forward to this match. I think the build has been atrocious, but yeah. I'm going to go with Lucha Brothers to win and retain the titles. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and maybe you think FTR winning the the AAA titles is kind of you know what they get out of a feud that they're going to lose. So I, I can see that. I, I'm going to pick Lucha Brothers as well. So the second part of this is now the Cody Rhodes and Pac versus Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo match. And you asked, hey, did we know Malachi Black and Andrade are working together? Or our team is what you said. Um, yes and no. There's been interactions between them recently where Andrade's beating someone and Malachi Black shows up or Malachi uh, maybe is in trouble. Maybe there was an occasion and Andrade came out. I don't remember because it's pretty convoluted, but it seems like there is some sort of working relationship there. But... It hasn't been explained. There's no storyline behind it. Initially, people thought, well, it's because they both hate Cody. But even when Andrade came in to attack Cody once, it, there was no promo about, I hate you, Cody, because of this. So right. my belief is very simple. They had Cody Rhodes and Malachi Black as a feud. They had Pac and Andrade Alidolo as a feud because of the Lucha Brothers thing. They decided to put the Lucha Brothers with FTR, which gave Andrade really nothing to do with them. It paused that storyline. So they just took these two things, uh, Cody and Malachi, which have already had three matches on television, of which Cody won the third for no reason. And they just kind of said, eh, let's shove it together because there's no reason for Cody and Pac to be working together. And there's no reason for Malachi Black and Andrade to be working together. Now that said, is this going to be a good match? Yes, it is. I think it's going to be an awesome match. Because yes. three of these dudes are among three of my favorite wrestlers in the world right now. And the other, Cody, uh, he can hang. You know, he, he's a, definitely a capable dude. So I think it's going to be a really good match. I have no idea why it's happening other than to get them on the show. And I have no idea what storyline relevance there really is going forward out of this. I have to believe Malachi Black and Andrade win this match. I have to believe Pac takes the fall. Maybe not. I don't know, but it's just, it, it's it's convoluted. That's the best way I can explain it. Okay, that's what I thought because it, it seemed weird and that's why, like, if they had paced this out a little bit better, 
you could have a reveal of Malachi Black and Andrade working together and doing a beatdown, and then it's done. And then Cody feels like he needs to team up with Pac to make it happen. But like they reveal Malachi Black and Andrade coming out together, and then we immediately get the Lucha Brothers coming out, and then Cody's already running down the running down the stairs at the same time. It's like, what the heck is going on? Who is with who here? And why is everybody like prepared for this to happen? So yeah, that's why that the timing of everything felt weird. If you had planned this out a couple weeks earlier, I think you it would have well, made a lot more sense in the build. Build could have just, it would have been a basic build, but like you would have had a build. Well, they did. So these four have interacted previously because of the saving situation, one saving the other, but it hasn't been Cody and Pac saving each other. It's been them running in because one of the people they're feuding with is attacking someone else. So yeah. it's two individual storylines that are jammed together, basically not a can they coexist WWE storyline, but more of like, hey, you're the enemy of your enemy is my friend, you know, like th that type of deal. So it's just it's just odd. Um, so well, one, one thing I'll say I wrote down also was that as this kind of whole thing was going on, I wrote down. I, you know what I would love? I would love a faction with Pac, Malachi Black, FTR, and Andrade. Like, all these guys who just weren't properly used in WWE, putting them all together, like, all these amazing workers. I Like, I kind of want to see all those guys together on the same side, but other than that, yeah. I think that if this was not AEW, like, if it was WCW back in the day, that's what we would have, 100%. Right. AEW seems to shy away from some of those things, which obviously... Makes a lot of sense. But um, so I, I went with Malachi Black and Andrade. Who do you have winning this? Uh, I have uh, Andrade and Malachi Black winning and Cody being pinned. Cody being pinned. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I can see Cody being pinned. I, I'm going to say pack, but I can see Cody too. You're right. Co Cody, gets some, Cody gets some wins he shouldn't get, but he also puts himself, put, puts the other guy over a lot. It's very easy to eat a couple this. finishers from those guys and get pinned. Right. Like, the, yeah. You know, two really talented dudes. So in kayfabe even. It would make some sense. Last thing here before we move on to what I consider the four main event matches on the card or the three main event matches plus one that just really got amped up recently. I mentioned earlier about AEW putting itself over on commentary and I tweeted this too. Most people seem to agree. A couple people were confused. But what I tweeted during Dynamite was people would lose their shit if WWE tried to put itself over on TV the way AEW does. And what I was referring to as if you go back and watch this Dax and Pac match, there were probably seven references during the match to this is real wrestling. AEW is the best wrestling company in the world. How is this is the best wrestling television show ever? How are you not watching Dynamite? If you want to see more of the best wrestling in the world, watch Full Gear. Like it was constant. It was a bombardment, a barrage of self-filating, aggrandizing shit from AEW. And I couldn't help but think, could you imagine if Michael Cole, during a Roman Reigns match, all he said was, this is the best wrestler in the world. You guys have to love and respect Roman Reigns. Uh, anyone during the match, not during a promo or introducing him or any of that, but like while the match is ongoing, not calling the match, but just talking about how good your company is and how good your wrestling is. AEW does this all the time, but for some reason during this match in particular, it was nonstop and it was in incredibly annoying to me. I wonder A, if you noticed it and B, whether you did or not, if you've noticed it in the past and if it annoys I, you. 
I did notice specifically in this match, um, Excalibur saying some stuff like that. I didn't, I just kind of was like, okay, sure, whatever. I kind of just, that's how I kind of react when, when AEW does stuff like that, uh, as well. Um, you, you're right that if WWE did that, they'd get a lot of shit for it. Um, but you know, I can also understand AEW just kind of wanting to promote itself and we'll get to something that was said in a promo later too. But yeah, I, I mean that, that it, it kind of goes back to, you know, Tony Khan, you know, that Friday night whole dust up was, was you know, he, he knows what his fans want to hear and that's what he gives them. He, you know, the AEW fans like hearing that stuff. And so I understand why they do it. Is it over the top sometimes? Is it, do I roll my eyes at it? Yeah. But I can also understand why they do it. I can understand a couple mentions. Of course, you want to put yourself over, tell people that are watching for the first time, you know, enforce, reinforce to them that what you're watching is real wrestling, good wrestling. You should watch our product. I totally respect that. It was like nonstop in this match. And, And of course they do it, of course, during other matches and other parts of the show as well. It was just to such a degree that I, I couldn't believe it. So as I mentioned, four big matches left here. Let's, I guess, talk about the one that's had the least build, uh, but is maybe one of the more exciting matches, especially considering the creativity that we've gotten from promos over the last couple of days. CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston on Rampage. Kingston stormed down to the ring where Punk was waiting for him, and he sarcastically apologized. It was basically the Punk-John Cena promo feud from like a decade ago, like 2009, something like that. 2011, yeah. 2011, okay. But with the roles reversed, that's basically what this was. Punk said he and others were trying to hold Kingston to a higher standard and called him a bum. Kingston told Punk no one ever wanted him in AEW, but they're just too afraid to tell him that. Kingston challenged him to fight at full gear, but Punk said elevation or dark is more at ease speed. Punk eventually accepted the match. Kingston said he didn't care about winning, only about beating him so he'd quit and leave again for seven years. Punk headbutted him, and they started brawling until officials separated them. And then on Dynamite, they were shown screaming at each other in a parking lot, held back by wrestlers, like 50 yards apart. They were nowhere near each other. It was simultaneously intense and slightly ridiculous at the same time because they were so far apart. I, you know, I kind of wish that they had gotten face-to-face and then been pulled apart. Whatever, it's a, it's a minor nitpick. So I didn't watch Rampage live, but I was very much anticipating this promo segment because the way people were talking about it, it was built up as this epic all-time promo because, you know, candidly, I think it's fair to say most things that AEW does get slightly exaggerated. So let me start by saying it was truly great. I loved every second of it. It was also a little bit inside baseball, and there was a lot of just yelling back and forth without actual substance to it between the parts that did have substance. It was maybe the best possible two-man promo battle face-to-face in a ring this year, but I didn't think either of them was promo of the year individually, if that makes sense. It did a great job building a match that basically had no other build eight days before a pay-per-view. Okay, I had a few thoughts on this. I'm with you. I didn't watch Rampage Live. So it was built up before I saw it. So I did kind of go in with high expectations as opposed to before. 
but I will say I, I loved this a lot. This is the CM Punk I've been asking for right. since he came back. Right. I've been saying I don't care about, I don't like a CM Punk that's just happy to be there, you know, smiling, waving at the crowd type stuff. I want CM Punk with an edge and this is it. And, and you can see it like this is, and that's what Eddie Kingston was basically saying. He, he was like, you know, where's the old CM Punk? Essentially, you, 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 you're washed up. And CM Punk, uh, Eddie Kingston got the better of him, if that was the point or whatever, because Punk is not the underdog anymore. He is, like right. he said to John Cena, you are what you hate. And so Kingston was the one who was kind of always on the attack there. It was It was dumb to start off as like, hey, you interrupted me blah 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 like it was it was a dumb thing to kind of start an argument over but eddie kingston going back to i'm having you know mental health issues my my friend moxley's going to this so i lose this match and i'm frustrated and you're in my way and that just kind of annoys me that that was that was kind of we get to know that eddie kingston character more and and eddie kingston also had a really good article in the players tribune uh did you read it no but i really really need to and i will I definitely will before it's it's good uh, full gear hundred percent. It's it's a lot. I mean, it's 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 what you know about the Eddie Kingston story. It's him talking about you know trying to make it. You know, coming up. You know, in New York. You know, working construction, selling his boots to try to do a match, and kind of, and also dealing with mental health and stuff like that. And so it's a great it was a great plan by AEW to kind of set this all in motion to make Eddie Kingston this big, you know, sympathetic babyface kind of going into this match. Not that Punk's a heel or anything, but like this is the Eddie Kingston push here right now, and. Um, I, I, I loved it. Eddie Kingston to me is the best promo guy in pro wrestling right now. I, I think without a doubt, I am absolutely enthralled every time he's talking. He just, it, it goes back to what I say a lot about Kevin Owens when he's on WWE. It's just, he sounds, he's just, he's real. He's authentic. Like you believe everything he's saying because he believes everything he's saying. He's so good at making you able to connect. Was this promo of the year? Probably not. Cause it wasn't really, it wasn't really that it was just they, they interrupted each other a lot. It, it was a bit sloppy in, in moments, um, but it made me really, really, really excited for this match as opposed to just kind of, hey, he interrupted me. How about we we talk? How about we have a match or whatever? No, now we got some heat. Now we got some energy. Now we got some animosity. And I'm really looking forward to it now. Eddie's an incredible promo, but the one thing he's not while doing promos is patient. And right. granted, his character shouldn't be patient. He was very angry and aggressive, and he he wanted to overwhelm Punk in that moment. But that is what separates a promo battle like that from something like maybe you might see, let's just say in WWE, the Edge Seth Rollins thing, right? Where I don't think during their feud they ever did a promo battle in the ring together. But each because of that, though, each of their promos was able to really stand out on their own. Here, if you had Eddie come to the ring and cut that promo and then CM Punk came out and answered him, I think we're looking at it completely differently. We're saying, holy shit, Eddie just tore the house down with that promo. Instead, they kept trying to talk over each other. Like you said, there was interrupting and yelling. And it just, it, it got across the intensity. It succeeded in that, no question about it. But it also failed, I guess, in some ways to clarify what exactly both of them were saying because it was so jumbled. So they, look, they, I'm... Yeah, I'm not really trying to criticize it. Like, I, I know that I'm giving it criticism, but it was freaking great. Like, it was honestly one of the more exciting back and forth promo things that AEW's ever done, I think. Yeah, no, well, honestly, one of my thoughts coming out of it was 
as much crap as WWE gets for its promo setup and stuff like that, this would this was great. It would have been that top tier legendary level if it had the WWE structure to it. It, it. it didn't have structure. It was just guys talking. And that's great. It's real. It's certainly, you know, uh, it, there's a lot of that intensity. But I don't know if it's something I'm going to go back and watch again. Like, you know, that that right. CM Punk, that CM Punk Cena 2011 promo, that might be my favorite promo segment in wrestling history. It's legendary. It, it, we play you it. Can, we, we think about it. Yeah. We, we have a drop from it, I think. Right. Because I think Vince McMahon is in there. And I've sent I've actually sent you several drops from that that we haven't used. But 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 because there's there there's a story told throughout the promo and we didn't quite get this. We got it at the end when Punk starts saying, hey, you know, 15 years ago, we saw we, we you know, we saw the potential you had. We gave up on you. We held you to a high standard. That was that was the point. It just it took a while to get to it. Um, eventually, we got to it, and it was great and everything. But I, that's why I just thought it was a great promo segment. If there was a little bit more structure, I think it would have been one of those all-timers. I agree. As far as the match goes, it's tough. Like, look, man, Eddie Kingston doesn't win shit. He doesn't. And I think if Eddie was younger, if he was Ricky Starks, let's say, in this scenario, I could really make a case for CM Punk even maybe going to Tony Khan and saying, I want to put this guy over, right? Because he's a younger dude. There, there's momentum potentially. You could take a Ricky Starks. You could move him into the TNT title picture. You can move him in eventually to the world title picture. With Eddie, I think AEW is still in this zone where it's like, well, CM Punk is still the toy. He's the fresh new hot toy. He's the one people are coming to see. We got to put him over. So while I would love for Eddie Kingston to win this match, I think it would be awesome to see that happen. Considering Kingston already in his promo said, I don't care about winning. I just want to beat you up. CM Punk's going to win this match. Um, And that's okay. I'm not criticizing that. It's the right decision. But I would, you know, CM Punk made a big deal. Like One of the things that, uh, you know, was in his first 18 promos about joining AEW is I am here to work with the young talent. Well, the benefit of having CM Punk in your company is not just to work with the young talent. It's to put over some of the young talent. And I'm not saying it had to happen immediately. I did not expect Darby Allen to beat Punk in his first match in seven years. It just wasn't going to happen. However, as we get through the end of his first year with the company, which we're not there yet, I think we're halfway through. But as we get through the end of the first year, it surely would be nice if Punk lost to an Orange Cassidy or an MJF or a Darby Allen or someone to that degree. Because this is Eddie Kingston, because this was a rushed Quick build for a pay-per-view match just to get people excited. I definitely have CM Punk going over. You, everything you laid out makes perfect sense. It it can certainly happen. I think I'm picking Eddie Kingston here. And I'm doing it because I think this is a, it's rushed, but I think it is still a coordinated push to kind of raise Eddie up a bit with the Players' Tribune story with the great promo segment and now with the match, he is clearly the babyface here. And well, I, I guess so. I mean, he 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 got a crowd of people in St. Louis chant CM Punk, CM Punk to chant Eddie, Eddie. Sure, but but they're still going to chant CM Punk. I mean, he he's, he's more of a tweener here, is what I would say. I, I don't think he is here though. I I think that the, the 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 story he laid out in the promo, the story he laid out in the article. Um, I, I think he's going to go over here and I think CM Punk can take the loss and it's a one-off and CM Punk can go off to do whatever and he's not hurt or whatever. 
Uh, he, he CM Punk is not hurt by losing. I know he hasn't lost. He's wrestled what, three or four matches or something. Like that. My, my problem is, I just want to cl- quickly interrupt. Yeah. What's the benefit of giving Eddie Kingston the win? Like, what would be the I, next I, thing he does with the win? I don't. Maybe he goes after that TNT Championship like we thought he was going to with with Miro. It's another I, face I, though. I, Sammy's the face. He's the champion. Well, I, I will. Who knows what's going to happen? I, not immediately. I, I don't know. But sure. he, I, I think he's a guy they want to just kind of elevate into another tier because, like you said, he has lost pretty much all the time. So maybe they want to give him a moment. Maybe he's toward the end. Of, maybe he, maybe he's going to retire soon. I don't know. I mean, I'm, financially, I don't know. But, but I, I think I think they want to give him a moment, a moment that he just has not had. And we thought it was going to come. At the Queen's at the at the Queen's show, but maybe this is it. Maybe you know the story they've told with him. This is where they kind of give him that crowning moment that he can always look back on. Well, at least we disagreed on something, so that's a good start. Yeah. Is this the only one that good. we disagree on so far, or no? Um, What'd you say for Lucha Bros uh, FTR? Uh, I didn't know, but you convinced me to pick Lucha Bros. Uh, okay. I picked Super Click. I don't know who you picked for that one. I think I, I picked them also. Yeah. Yeah, because I said they had Bobby Fish and they had reasons to get interference. All right, so this was their first disagreement. Cool. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, Look, Darby Allen versus MJF. There was a decent video package ahead of the match, but we didn't hear from arguably the best promo guy in the company on the go-home show to the pay-per-view. Now, granted, there was no way that they could have topped last week's segment with MJF and Darby Allen. But my argument would be, that should have been saved for the go-home show if that's going to be the case. Right. So I was really looking forward to see what they were going to do all night with them. And as a fan, I was really disappointed that we didn't get to hear from or really see either of them outside of that taped segment. But this match, Darby Allen versus MJF, I know, Chris, you haven't been on some of the AEW episodes recently. Um, outside of the main event, I think it's the number two match I'm most looking forward to on this entire card for a number of reasons. One... The storyline is real. Like these guys are two of those four young pillars of AEW. We haven't really seen those that group of people interact much. And on a card that, let's be honest, features a lot of not so much older talent, but more established talent, a lot of former WWE talent across the entire card. They're forcing in the Malachi Blacks and the Andrades. And Miro obviously got elevated to a spot that was going to be John Moxley. A lot of these guys, there aren't really a lot of spots on this card for young talent to get over. Even the Jurassic Express match, Jungle Boy's that one guy out of them. I mean, there's multiple people that are not old. You know, there's a difference between young and old. But really, for a standout moment for a young performer, this is basically all I really see here on the card. Um, with, with the exception, of course, of the main event, yes, Adam Hangman Page's opportunity. So I am particularly excited for this. The build to it has been incredible. I had lost interest completely in Darby Allen. It's revitalized the interest for me. I had not so much lost interest in MJF, but I thought the whole feud with Chris Jericho got mind-numbing. It was boring. It was repetitive. I had, I had somewhat lost my passion for caring about MJF. It's been re- reignited by this. So they have done an exceptional job building this second only and to the main event. And I am thrilled that we're getting it on pay-per-view. As far as the match itself, it's a very, very difficult prediction yes. because you have Darby Allen here, right? And man, fans love this guy. And he just lost on the last pay-per-view to CM Punk. But at the same time, 
Where is he going if he wins? And then you have MJF, who to me should be the guy to eventually down the road take the title off Hangman Adam Page. Like, yes. if you're going to put the, the title on a face, then you're going to have the heel eventually, you would think, take a title off of him. I don't need it to be Omega. I don't need it to be a heel turn John Moxley or Miro or Malachi Black or Andrade. MJF is really that guy where if they're going to talk about pushing their homegrown young talent, he should be that next guy in line to be champion. And if you're going to do that in this match, could you have him take a loss? You absolutely could because maybe Hangman holds the title for nine months and you forget about this match down the line. But MJF wrestles so infrequently and he just lost his last feud technically to Chris Jericho that I'm going to go with MJF beating Darby Allen. There's so many ways they can make it happen. Interference from any member of Pinnacle. Um, there's just so many different things they could do. I think Darby can absorb any loss. MJF losing to Darby here, you kind of wonder, well, what the hell does he have to say after that? Probably nothing. So I'm going to say MJF wins this match. This is tough. And it is very tough. I, I, I'm with you that it has rejuvenated both of them. And the reason it's rejuvenated both of them because it rem- it, they remembered what Darby Allen's character is. And that's, he's the underdog to the bully. That that's what he is. The 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 whole stuff with Sting and some of that art, the CM Punk stuff, it just it wasn't quite the same. I you didn't you didn't connect with it. You know when I connected with Darby Allen when he was fighting Brian Cage. That was a great little story. And it was such an easy story. You know, the big guy, the big guy bullying the little guy. Like everybody can relate to that. And that's what MJF's doing here verbally, just not physically. And he's been talking him down. So we've got a story now. Uh <coughs> Darby being out for a bit was good. Get some sympathy. MJF uh, has been on an absolute tear in AEW and out of AEW. I don't know if you've caught the promos he cut on his mom on a radio show the other day. Did you catch that? I did. Yes. Very funny. This guy is this guy is absolutely just diabolical with his promos and from the moment i first saw him, i first saw him in aw i said this guy is an absolute top level star and i think he's going to take another step to getting that i am picking mjf because darby allen can take the win and this hasn't been a you know this this it's mjf can move on to do something move forward darby allen I don't think he's a main event type of guy. He's a guy who's supposed to lose and you're supposed to root for him to get back up, you know, and be the underdog and not win over and over and over. But how many times are they going to do that with him? Like at some point, this guy needs to, I mean, look, he did win the TNT title and he had a nicer run with it. Don't get me wrong. And he only lost because it was Miro freaking, you know, the guy was a monster. But at some point, like some, at some point people become losers and and they need to be careful with that. He won the Brian Cage deal too, the the Team Taz stuff. So he has come out on top of it. Um, but you're you're not wrong in big matches. Though I'm saying like you're not wrong. I just that's honestly that's why I that's why I picked Darby to win. I thought he should have won the CM Punk match, but I get why he didn't. Um, right. If so, that CM Punk match was yeah. six months later, Darby should win it. Sure. Like so, if they did that, you know what I mean? Like, cause, cause yeah. then CM Punk's back, he's established. It's not his first match. And that's an argument that you could say, Hey, you know what? Maybe that shouldn't have been the booking for the first match. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, where are you? I, I, where I'm, picking MJ, I, I'm picking MJF. I, I, I think, um, 
I, I know we've agreed on all of these, but we we're allowed, man. I we've mean, agreed. We've agreed on them for the same reasons. I, but I, um, yeah, I just think it makes more sense for MJF to win. I, I, I can see the case for Darby Allen. He's the face. He's been bullied. He's been talked down to. He'll get his comeuppance. But MJF never being pinned as a singles wrestler kind of hangs over this. Maybe he should take that. Maybe he should just take that loss, and and we can move on to it from something else. But yeah. Darby MJF is a big, big, big shit talker, and you can't have him, you know, lose something like that and still be able to basically do what he wants to do. Hey, just remember, just because it's predictable doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. Exactly, Paul. All right, two more matches here. Uh, the world title eliminator, Brian Danielson versus Miro. We'll get to the match in a moment. Uh, on Rampage, before we get to the pay-per-view match, or even the matches that happened on TV. I need you to hear what one Mr. Max Caster had to say <laughs> uh, ahead of Anthony Bowen's match with Brian Danielson. Don't be mad at me, bro, because you only known for your wife's reality shows. And you should eat some eggs. Look at Bowen's arms. They're bigger than your legs. I'm going to put you in the poverty dog because I ate careers quicker than your father-in-law. First of all, I love Taz's I'm stiff at the end of that. It's hysterical. <laughs> uh, but okay, first of all, uh, you, I think you guys know I'm not a huge fan of the acclaimed. I think Caster in particular, his raps aren't very good or creative in general. But man, this guy occasionally can hit some freaking lines. That line about John Laurinaitis popped me so big. Like I... It's one thing when wrestling makes you laugh or smile or like nod, nod along and like, oh, yeah, that's a funny inside joke. I burst out laughing when I heard that. <laughs> Huge credit to Max Caster. That was incredible. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I'm with you on kind of hit and miss with his stuff. I like that he's including Bowens in these, especially before a Bowens match. Like, don't take away from the guy who's about to wrestle. So right. I, I, I think I think he's. You know, maybe after the whole the whole um, Duke Lacrosse thing, kind of he, supposedly Tony Khan is now involved more. I think having a bit more uh, structure and some kind of some people paying attention to it. Uh, I, I think it's made it better since. I think he's actually been better since he's kind of come out of that. And I think it's probably because he's not just giving free reign to do whatever. What I also like, I think the wrestlers, the opponents don't know what he's going to say. Now, I don't know that that's true. And and that line about Danielson, I mean, it wasn't about Danielson. It was about Laurinaitis. I would guess that they asked him if it was okay. Like, maybe they didn't. If they didn't, that's crazy. If they did, Brian sold it incredibly. Um, and Castro had another one on Jungle Boy, uh, this on Dynamite. That was good. It wasn't nearly as good as this. But you could see Jungle Boy was like listening. And he's like, oh, man, he got me there. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. a couple, sometimes he does hit. This one was a grand slam home run. Great yes. line. Uh, so we had Brian Danielson against Anthony Bowens on Rampage. It opened the show. It was probably the most WWE of any of Brian's AEW matches, largely because Bowens is a WWE-style wrestler. He's a big, strong guy who can go through that moveset. But Brian basically hit all his signatures. He won with the little bell lock. And to me, it was nothing special with Caster's rap outshining the match completely. Yes, I I don't recall if it happened in this match specifically, but overall with Brian's 
AEW matches, I gotta say, they gotta cool it on the the chest slaps and making it bleed from the yeah, chest. Yeah, save it's, it. Yeah. It's happening like every match he does. And it's not even the kind of color that I think adds to a match. Like like when a guy's bleeding from the face, it's like, oh, this is serious. But when a guy's bleeding from the chest, it's like, why are you slapping him so much when when we're kicking and punching people? It's the whole slap in general. Like I get the use of it, but to make that the focal point of you know the the the, the damage that you're taking to me is just so weird. Brian did that. I think he first did that on the one of the Saudi shows. Greatest Royal Rumble might have been the one. Um, I get it, man. You can take chest slaps, but like you don't need to do that all the time, and it devalues if you're doing them all the time. So just, I just wanted to throw that out there because it seems like it's happening every week now, considering how often that he wrestles. On Dynamite, we had Brian Danielson against Rocky Romero. There was some great mat-based submission wrestling. Rocky then hit a Huracarana off the steps and running slice bread inside for a near fall. Romero countered an avalanche German suplex into a falling crossbody for a near fall. Danielson then lifted and powerbombed Romero from an armbar position. Brian stomped Rocky's head and couldn't get the label lock, so he put in Tequila Sunrise for the win. I thought it was a perfect TV opener. I went four stars and an A-. minus. It was just a lot of fun. I don't know if you had anything to say about the match itself. Not really. I, I, I saw on social media leading up kind of Brian acknowledging the history that him and Romero have going back. So that was kind of cool. Um, but as for the match itself, yeah, like you said, is good TV opener, you know, kind of did the job for what it was. And then the last thing I'll say, just because it kind of fits in here. So commentary explained before that match that best friends are now part of the chaos faction in New Japan. And they even mentioned Kazuchika Okada by name, like four different times during the match. Rocky is also a part of chaos. That's how it all kind of comes together. Now, Chris, I know you're not into New Japan, probably don't even know what I'm talking about mostly, but as someone who has loved New Japan for a while, hasn't been into it over the last year or so, mentions like this are exciting because it seems to mean like the relationship might actually be going forward in a more substantial way, possibly with Danielson at Wrestle Kingdom given that's six or seven weeks away. It's coming up pretty soon. It's, you know, the first week of January. So I'll talk about all of that in a moment in terms of Danielson and Okada and what could potentially happen. But as far as the match goes, you know, let's remember, this was supposed to be Mox against Brian. I believe, at least as far as I'm concerned, my opinion, my projection, all that, the idea would have been Mox squashing Orange Cassidy, either turning heel or just becoming a really aggressive tweener, being on the heel side against Brian, and ultimately winning this match and becoming the number one contender and facing Hangman Adam Page as a first top tier opponent that Page can defeat. But with Mox going into alcohol treatment and Miro being substituted into this match, it does create a situation where plans changed and Tony Khan had to decide on a new direction. The question is, what do they do? Do they have Brian win and shortly after joining AEW, still undefeated, you have Brian face Hangman Adam Page and lose, and that puts Page over a little bit because he's gone and beaten Brian Danielson? Or do you have Miro, who's already coming off a loss, and in my opinion, wouldn't necessarily get hurt by another one? Do you have him beat Brian, so Miro gets a big win over Brian, Brian loses in this match, not a title match. And then Miro goes on to face Hangman Adam Page and is the one who puts Page over. You know, Page is able to go over a monster heel. 
I think either way, they're in a really tough spot because these are two guys who really should not be taking a loss right now, yet they're both going to. The question is, which one do you have lose to the other and which one do you have lose to Hangman Adam Page? So I am, like I said, there were two matches on this card. I wasn't exactly sure what direction they were going to go in. Uh, One of them we already discussed. This is the other. I think I'm going to side with Miro. It makes a lot of sense. Just given how dominant and strong he is, it makes sense that Brian could potentially lose to him versus Hangman Adam Page, where he would get out-wrestled, where Brian is the one who out-wrestles people. So I'm going to have Miro win here and ultimately lose to Page, which obviously gives away my prediction for the next match. Um, But that's where I'm going. I'm curious if you agree or disagree. I I think Miro's winning this, and I feel very confident in saying that. I I mean, you laid out the whole scenario, but yeah, it makes sense. Miro wins. He he's a he rebounds after you know losing his championship, and he goes on to get a championship match and and be the first guy that Page feuds with after winning the title. It makes perfect sense to me. So I I I I I think that's what happens. And yeah, I I gotta say, I was looking at this card, and this match is feel feels like the time to bring it up. There are so many ex WWE guys on this card. And some of them were fired. Some of them were not. Some of them chose to leave. Some of them just aren't maybe some of them are associated with WWE, even if they're not WWE guys. But between Danielson and Miro and Jake Hager and Jericho and uh, FTR and CM Punk kinda and Christian and Cody and Malachi Black and Andre, like this is just like like thinking about where AEW was when it started to where it is now, um, they're loaded with XWB guys. And that's not a bad thing because there, there's a lot of them. But I just wanted to point that out in that, um, you know, WWE did a really, really good job developing and acquiring talent. And with a lot of it, with their recent cuts, some some guys wanted to leave, some guys didn't. Um, but you can see it now in AEW's lineup in this roster, in this card, that they are getting a huge boon and a huge benefit um, by, you know, taking guys that were in WWE. Do you think that it's, do you think that's a, a negative mark for them or no? I, I don't think so because I think in the end you just want talent and, and, and all of these people are people that we're happy to see in AEW like FTR. We wanted more from them. Miro, we wanted more from him. You know, Andrade mm-hmm. and Malika, we wanted more from them. And that's what we're getting. But it also goes back to what I've mentioned a lot of times every time, you know, they add somebody, which is like, there's a lot of young talent on AEW that kind of just kind of got pushed aside. That's why I'm glad Sammy Guevara, Sammy Guevara won the right. TNT title. Me too. Because yeah. he'd been he'd been kind of gone for a while. He kind of disappeared for a while. That's why I'm glad we get the MJF Darby Allen singles match and the emphasis on them being the pillars of the future of this company, because we need to remember that, yes, they are trying to develop and do their own talent. But I mentioned it earlier, a team like Private Party, just completely gone. And there's a a lot of teams that are just kind of thrown into factions now because they need something to do. Um, And and that's business. I mean, I mean, Tony Khan is going to pick up the talent that's there. But I remember when this kind of, when AEW first started, I think it was Cody who said like, we're not just going to take, you know, WWE leftovers. Um, we want to develop our own fresh talent. Well, obviously, nobody expected the layoffs to happen the way they have, but right. 
AEW's largely done that. They, well, they've picked up a lot of WWE. Well, I think people are just a little bit disingenuous when they talk about this because they say, well, it's not like AEW's taking everyone WWE releases. Sure, WWE released 70 people. Of course, they're not right. taking everyone, right. but anyone of basically any value AEW has taken. The one person so far they have not is Braun Strowman. That's, he is the most glaring person who's been a free agent. He's been able to go. They haven't taken him. Now, Bray Wyatt, Wyndham is his new name. You know, I do still think he's going to end up there. I know he's off filming a movie, so maybe they're delaying it. Maybe maybe he shows up at full gear. Maybe he shows up um, on the Dynamite after full gear. We don't know. But, you know, those are the two. Those are really the only two guys. And, you know, someone I saw someone say, well, they didn't take Matt Cardona or Fandango. Of course they didn't. They already have low carters. Well, they, they did take <laughs> Matt Cardona for a minute. Oh, well, I mean, he, he just had a match. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but of course, you know, they took anyone of value that WWE's released, including women. Anyone of actual, like, legitimate value. And you could say, well, they didn't take the Iconics. Sure, but there's a women's tag team division in Impact, and there's not in AEW, right? So, and they want it to be a tag team. So, you know, Ruby Soho immediately hired. And, and I wouldn't, I, I don't disagree with a single person, I think, at least not yep. most of them, that AEW's brought on. But it is also fair to note that they did those things and that it's affected their booking and their card and, and who's being promoted and pushed. This card, I think, is extremely strong. The only WWE people that I would not have on this card is that Cody, Pac, Malachi Black, Andrade match. It just, for me, doesn't belong on the pay-per-view. It's almost a way to get a lot of familiar faces onto the card in case a WWE fan happens to be watching. Oh, and, and Pac, Pac, Pac. I forgot to mention yeah. him. Yeah. But every other, but every other match on the card involving a, let's say a quote unquote WWE person to me is totally fine. 100% yeah. fine. That's the only one where it really bothers me. And look, the main event doesn't have um, those people. In fact, we might as well go to it. The AEW World Championship, Kenny Omega against Hangman Adam Page. Kenny Omega, never in WWE. I mean, I think he had a match there or something. But Omega, never in WWE. Hangman Page, not only never in WWE, but the number one homegrown talent of AEW. Like the guy, the guy that they're trying to elevate yeah. into their first true big time star because Omega really made his name over in Japan. So that's their main event for this card. And that that's the most important thing that in their singular biggest match, they actually don't have those people. And that's a, a big check mark for yes. AEW. So let's get to that. On Dynamite, they had a contract signing. This was the main event. It began with seven minutes left in the show. Hangman said the sooner he signed, the sooner he could kick Omega's ass. Omega said Hangman never picked himself back up when he fell back over the last year. It was always the elite who did it for him. Page said he's not the first tag team partner Omega couldn't measure up to, which was a reference to Kota Ibushi. Hangman said Omega tried to hold him down, not pick him up. Omega said they may never be friends again, but they should at least shake hands and that they'll kill it and have a great match at full gear. So Paige, for some reason, dumb dumb WWE babyface style, <laughs> bought that Kenny Omega had good intentions, went over and shook his hand, only for a cameraman to hit him in the back of the head with a camera. And then he took off his mask and, and makeup and revealed himself to be Don Callis. Um, I should also mention that in there, at some point, I, I forgot to say, Omega told Paige he was proud of him again, which was a dagger to the heart. But anyway, uh, Callus nails him in the back of the head with the camera. Paige blades the front of his head, even though he was hit in the back of the head. Omega signed the contract in Paige's blood. 
as Callus yelled about staying away for six weeks to convince people he was out of AEW as Dynamite ended. I thought it was an extremely effective go-home moment, and I didn't mind that it gave away the main event winner because let's be honest, we've been talking about it the entire show. We already know who's going to win the main event. We knew it from the second that Hangman Adam Page won the ladder match. It was a solid capper to what I think was the best go-home episode of Dynamite that they've ever done ahead of a pay-per-view. And it's not to say that this episode was incredible. It's that most of their go-home episodes are actually shitty. So this one was not only solid top to bottom, it sold some of the major matches on the card. Uh, And this being the final segment, finishing with your main event, it's the way you're supposed to do it. They did it, they accomplished it, and they gave Paige one other obstacle to overcome on Saturday at Full Gear. So I loved what they did on Dynamite. My pick for the match is Hangman Adam Page. I actually wish there was more for us to talk about, but there isn't because it's really a cut and dried scenario. Well, there, there is, and I'll bring it up in a second. But this this um, go-home segment was solid. I don't think he bladed. I'm pretty sure it must have been a blood capsule. It didn't look like real blood, which it was is his, fine. It was it, his forehead. I don't, but, I, but the blood, it looked very, very bright it, it looked watered down it didn't oh, look like actual blood got it go. so which is fine i i'm i'm all in favor of blood capsules over real blood just for the safety of everybody involved but i i liked it i liked that little twist i had been wondering like where is don Callis? he kind of disappeared for a while literally thought about that during the segment when kenny came out alone and so to get that twist was great i also really liked kenny's the way he handled himself, he's talking like a normal person again. Like there, there was a, there was a period with him as champion where he'd kind of talk really fast and frantically and stuff like that. And, and in a weird voice in front of the crowd. But when he's talking to page here, he's talking like a normal person. And I think that really added to the connection, you know, kind of between them. Um, so it was a great go home segment. The, the, I think the best part of this build was a couple weeks back it might have been the first promo after he won the title shot but when hangman came out and just did a straight up promo in the ring like that was the moment you're, you're like yeah he's the guy like 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 he is the guy for this moment for 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 this spot for this story my only and, and i'm picking him to win absolutely i think it's gonna be great but i gotta bring up there has been now a discussion among wrestling twitter and reddit and whatever because this is what we do but there's there is a growing segment of the fans that believe that hangman should not win and should instead win some other time there is yes it is it, i've seen it a lot on twitter and my brother even texted me the other day he said i don't know if hangman should win no. they talked about it on on busted open radio i think too oh, i have a take on but, that so you go first but i so have a take on that my take on it is no absolutely <laughs> not this is the moment you've built for i think there is a real concern that it doesn't yet feel like the biggest thing because I think the promo packages have been kind of hit and miss. Yeah. Honestly, I think the best way, the best way the story was told was a Twitter thread like a couple months back by some guy who basically recounted the whole story in a Twitter thread and hangman page actually tweeted about it too. Um, But there's so much to this story and we haven't quite gotten a full video package to we recount haven't. the whole thing. It's true. We love we love WWE's video package team. They're the best in the business at making those hype videos. We haven't quite gotten it. So I think so I so I think some people feel like feel like it hasn't gotten quite there yet. So they want to wait for that. But no, you shouldn't. And it's fair that AEW in big moments 
has not fully delivered several times. They have to get this moment right with Hangman Adam Page yeah. when he wins. Yeah. The, the, the camera cuts, the, 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 the music, the reaction. They got to get it all right from a production standpoint. And it's fair to be concerned about that, but absolutely not. No, Page should win this. Year. So the idea of Page not winning here and then having to come back, let's say, I don't know, six months later uh, or a year later and, and try one more time, that is WWE booking. It's <laughs> WWE yeah. taking the moment the fans want not giving it to them and then saying, okay, don't worry about it. We're going to give it to you later. And by the time you get it later, you're tired of it. And you, you just want it to, and then it happens and you're like, okay, that was nice. Like it's great in the moment. And then you forget about it. The, the opposite of that is let's say Kofi mania where it's the anticipation and it's building and it's building and it's building. And you finally get that moment. And you're like, man, if they don't do it here, I don't, you know, I'm going to lose my mind. And they do it and you lose your mind because it's so freaking awesome. Yeah. Now with Paige, there have been some extenuating circumstances. Obviously, the first loss to Chris Jericho was purposeful. The first loss to Kenny Omega was purposeful. It, it seemed like the idea was for him to, you know, win it a couple months ago, but they had to delay that because of uh, his his wife or girlfriend, I don't know what their situation is, was pregnant. He had a kid. He had to take some time off from AEW. So they pushed it forward and they they figured out a way to get him back into the main event and give him the moment, the moment that we've been waiting for. They have built it up to such a degree now um, that it has to be now. They don't have any other choice than to pull the trigger right now. However, I do think it is fair to say that this is not the peak of the feud. This is not the hottest that it has been where you say, oh my God, I cannot wait for Adam Hangman Page to win the title. I did, I used to feel that way. Now I know he's going to win the title and it's more just, I'm going to be very happy for him that he gets that moment. And I'm going to be very happy for AEW that they finally fulfill the storyline. But you're right. And anyone who said this is correct. The fact that they don't have a promo package ready for this feud, that they didn't air on Dynamite, or they're not going to air on Rampage. And maybe they do it on the countdown show. But if they do it on the countdown show, you know when that is? Friday night at 11 p.m. Right. Less than 24 hours before the pay-per-view. But there is a promo package to be aired and shown that goes over them in the elite, them in the tag team as champions, Paige's drinking, the Dark Order stuff, the split with the elite, the entirety of this very long and in many parts, well done story. It is somewhat fair to say that the story was so well done and it lasted so long that it lo- lost some of its intensity as we approach the finish. That's unfortunate. It's also potentially accurate. So I think the moment is still going to be incredible. The yeah. fans are going to lose their minds. It's going to be a crowning achievement for Hangman. And you're going to get the reaction you want. And you're definitely going to get the reaction you want coming up Wednesday on Dynamite when he gets to celebrate and have that coronation. But the build, am I as excited for this individual match as I would have been two months ago or four months ago? I'm not. That's just the truth. They 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 have somewhat allowed it to fizzle out here towards the end. Yeah, I, I think honestly, I think the peak was, I think the peak was when he won the, um, one of the peaks was when he won the the, the spot couple weeks month or so back like mm-hmm. when he made the surprise return and won it and then the next week cuts a promo it's like this is like this is the intensity now we're here and i understand he kind of had to it'd be weird for him to win the title shot a week before he fights for it or something like that like i get it but um 
that there have been a lot of peaks and there's been so much to this. You got to bring it all, literally all of it back together. And they will probably do it on the road to full gear show. But we got to see it on TV. We we get, we got to see it before the match. Even that's even before the match is fine. I like, w- I would love it. I know AEW does not really go with the deep promo segments or deep uh, sorry video packages before their matches on pay per view like WWE does. I would love for this to be an exception. I would yes. easily sit there and watch a five minute video package before this main event. Yes. Yep. Totally. I'd 100%. be very happy if they did that, and they definitely so, should, should do yeah. that. Yeah. So this is they, they've done a great job with this story. They've done such a good job with the story. We want that story to be basically retold before this. Like, like yes, they, they really have done a good job. We want them to kind of get get their bang for the buck out of everything they put into. This, I want so. them to achieve in some ways what they failed to do over the last couple of weeks, which is remind you of how deep this is. Yes, like we know that we know why this is happening. But there's so many elements of it that have been forgotten over time. Or even if they've been remembered, we haven't been reminded of them. This is the opportunity for them to remind us. If they do it on Rampage, I would love it. If they do it on the pay-per-view, I would love it. Just give me a five-minute video package. Tell the entire story. And then you you cut away from the video package and you introduce Hangman Adam Page. That moment, you know, think about it. Like when they did Austin Rock, right? Was it X7? They, They aired that promo package. And then the next thing you saw was the entrance and you're, you got the goosebumps. You're like, oh my God, this match is huge. That's what this needs to be. It doesn't, it, the match doesn't feel huge. The moment feels like it will be huge. Does yes. that make sense? Are you, yes. Agree? Okay. Yes. The, the end, his entrance has to be epic here. Yes. Like, like, like it, I don't know if he comes in on a horse again or whatever, like he's done before, but just, it's gotta be, it, it's gotta feel special, you know, as he's coming to the ring. Even if he's taking it, his time and soaking in the moment. Yes. You know, and looking around and like this, this it, is it. it. You know, you want that feeling. It's got to feel like a WrestleMania entrance that they, they have to get the production right. of this right. And they've been hit and miss on that. Um, the CM Punk stuff they nailed for the most part. Yes. Um, but yep. but, the, but there have been times, you know, where, where the, the things haven't quite worked out. Like one, there was one time Paige came out in a in a battle royal and the camera missed him as he was coming out or something like that. So <laughs> right. just they, they got they gotta hit this because this this is everything they've built to and they've done a great job with it. Now you just gotta like finish the job here. Yeah, you gotta touch home plate. I'm excited for That's it. So it is they gotta touch home plate. Okay, so that is our ultimate preview of AEW full gear, which means the last thing for us to do before we move on. And of course I'm still going to talk about NXT on today's show. So don't miss that. But the last thing for us to really discuss is our pre-show expectation grade for AEW full gear. So just a reminder or um, some information for anyone who's a first time listener to the show. What we do is we provide our pre-show expectation grade now. And then after, uh, you know, we discuss AEW full gear on our instant analysis episode Saturday night, we provide our post-show grade. We also allow you, the listeners, to provide your pre and post-show grades, which you can do on Twitter by following us at Getting Overcast. We will put a poll out before the pay-per-view and we will put a poll out after the pay-per-view is over. That way you guys can vote and we'll all discuss what we thought of the show here on the podcast. So Chris, when we get to the grades, we always start with you. What is your expectation grade for AEW Full Gear 2021? I'm going with an A- minus, with, with certainly potential to hit an A if they hit, the, hit that main event right. Um, I'm curious how long this will be. It's an eight-match card. 
you know, WWE shows, we got used to them being three hours or so. AEW pay-per-views have typically been long. Four, four and a half, usually. Yeah, yeah, sometimes that makes it drag a bit. So we'll see, but um, I'm interested in every single match on this card, either because of the matchup or because of the story. And, um, but, but there are potentials for things to slip a bit. So I'm going to go a minus. I am right there with you. Uh, I think it deserves to be in an a range because the card is extremely strong. At the same time, there are a couple of matches on here where I'm like, eh, don't really want them. Don't think the build was good. Don't really care too much. Um, but the four main matches on this show, they have me hook, line and sinker. I'm ready. I'm ready for this pay-per-view. So I'm at a minus and that does give us the potential you know, to for to to underwhelm and to be in the B range because this is not going to be probably lower than a B pay per view. I'd be very surprised, um, and it also gives us enough space to say that it exceeded our expectations. So I think A minus is the appropriate uh, grade. So yeah, that's our full breakdown of AEW full gear. I want to thank uh, Vintage Chris Vanini, of course, for joining me. We will be back for that instant analysis show. I Chris and I were still figuring out our schedules how we're going to do it, if Chris is going to be available for it. We hope he will be. But for now, Chris, you know, and everyone, by the way, everyone else, stay tuned. I'm still talking NXT here before the show's out. But Chris, I wanted to thank you for joining me. And uh, if, if you have any parting shots, this would be the time uh, to land them. Yep, looking forward to it. Um, I know I, I've, I've missed the last handful of AW episodes just because college football has been kind of a whirlwind and it might be still going forward. But excited for this pay-per-view. Have all intentions to be certainly there on the uh, the post-match show or the post show show just it may be late at night when we're recording that thing yeah so we're just gonna have to unfortunately play that a little bit by ear but we will have that episode AEW full gear instant analysis coming once the pay-per-view is off the air okay chris thank you very much it is now time for the silver king to go solo and break down this week's edition of nxt and i will say in retrospect i probably should have done this as a separate episode because i realize this is going long but I'm just going to run through it as quick as I possibly can. So on NXT, we had Toxic Attraction versus Io Shirai, Caden Carter, and Casey Catanzaro. It opened the show. There was a gratuitous ass shot of Toxic Attraction during their entrances. I found that notable. The Caseys had a new high energy entrance as they came through the crowd, handing out bracelets and stuff with a lot of flashing lights. Anyway, as far as this went, uh, Casey had an insane catapult torneo on Mandy outside before Caden hit an Escalara splash. Io went for a tope when Mandy caught her with a spear. Shirai later hit a perfect moonsault on Mandy, but her partners broke the fall. Carter did a corner dropkick falling splash combination, but JC distracted her. And Gigi Dolan hit a super cool looking uh, hooking crucifix style slam pinning combination for the win. This went about 13 minutes. I thought it was extremely entertaining. The faces were the stars. And I can't stress, I say this all the time, how much I really like the Casey's as a team, but also Caden Carter individually. Obviously, the new champions had to get the win. I liked that it was clean enough. It succeeded in getting all six women over. I thought it was a B match, 3.5, 3.25 stars in that range. It was it really exceeded my expectations. There was some unfortunate news related to this in that Zoe Stark tore her ACL and meniscus at Halloween Havoc. So she's obviously going to be out for the better part of the next year. It sucks given how fast and hot of a start she had in NXT. I hope that when she does come back, they elevate her into the main event of the show. Best wishes to her, of course. Toxic Attraction later was cutting a celebratory promo in the parking lot in hour two when Raquel Gonzalez drove by on her motorcycle and told Mandy to keep the title warm for her. Gonzalez hit the ring and called out Dakota Kai, who came out laughing and bragging about taking out Gonzalez. Cora Jade ran in and attacked Kai from behind. 
Gonzalez spun Jade around, saying she can get a piece of Kai once Gonzalez gets hers. Jade tried a fist bump, but Gonzalez denied it. It was a slightly strange segment, but I think ultimately it mostly worked to note that Dakota Kai has people hating her on two different fronts, with Gonzalez clearly going to be that main catalyst. And I expect that they'll do Raquel Gonzalez against Dakota Kai at an upcoming special event. We'll talk about that in a moment. We had Kaylee Ray against Saray. KLR made her entrance. The Toxic Attraction still on the ramp. They worked well together, her and Saray. Saray did a great single leg crab, fully bending backwards over KLR before hitting a single leg fisherman suplex bridge for a near fall. KLR dodged, dodged the uh, basement dropkick on the ropes and dropped Saray with the gory bomb into the announce table before hitting another one in the ring for the one, two, three. The match went five minutes, but they achieved a lot in a very short period of time. KLR had to get the win given her debut on NXT in the US has really been stunted, but it would be nice to see Saray get some more wins on TV or at least a cohesive storyline that she's building into. It does seem like they may be doing a losing streak storyline with Saray, at least according to her Twitter, but we're going to have to see if that transpires. I went 3.25 stars in a B. It could have been better given more time. And the fact that Saray ate two finishers to lose to KLR, they tried to protect her in the finish, which is obviously important. There was a video package of Braun Breaker recapping how much he learned on the UK tour. And then he told Tommaso Ciampa to watch out because he was going to get his PhD so he could kick his ass. I don't mind Braun mentioning Ciampa like he did last week, but they really need to give these guys space, especially if Braun is eventually going to be the one to take the title off Ciampa. If it happens at all, it should be months and months away. It feels like it may only be weeks away from happening instead. Other than that, Braun was good on the mic. He cut a solid promo in this video. Champa later said, there's nothing Braun or anyone else in NXT can do to combat his 16 or 17 years of experience. So I just want them to separate them. Breaker had his chance, allow him to do other things. He should really be going after the North American Championship at this point, and Champa should be getting another feud. So I don't really know what they're doing here. Uh, Joe Gacy fought Boa. Gacy said that no one, including Boa, should have to hide behind a mask. Then he spoke to Harlan through the camera and said he's doing this for them as a pair. This went back and forth until Boa bent down in a corner and lights flashed. He rose slowly and put Gacy in like a chokehold over the bottom rope, refusing to break the hold as the official ring the disqualification. Then the lights turned on and Boa just stared at his hand as if, what did I do? And left the ring. Gacy grabbed his throat, but he smiled saying we did it, I presume because he got the victory. This just did not work for me at all. There's no story behind this change in Boa, and it all feels completely, just completely thrown together. MSK finished their walk from last week, only to find that the place had changed addresses. It was 420 miles away. So Wesley said they had to fly to get there. And look. I'm really high. The video was very stupid, buddy comedy, almost stoner movie type of stuff. Something you'd see maybe with Pauly Shore or Dude Where's My Car, that type of deal. It wasn't necessarily bad, but if you're going to do comedy like that and it's not funny, that's obviously not the best look. I do wonder who their shaman or whatever is going to be. Maybe it's Rob Van Dam. That would work. It would make a ton of sense given the mystery surrounding the MSK name. Rob Van Dam's a stoner, so he could basically say, hey, oh yeah, I did name you guys that. I don't remember. Ends the mystery. Maybe it's a funny segment. 
and it all kind of comes together. I don't know if that's what they're going to do. It's just a complete and total guess from me. Uh, we'll keep moving on here. Jacket Time fought the Creed Brothers. Diamond Mine played footage of Kushida and Ikaminjiro dressed as amateur wrestlers from Halloween while the Creeds trained and Malcolm Bivens ranted about them not being able to match up. Jiro hit a senton bomb for a near fall. He got his jacket ripped off and Julius Creed hit a gut wrench power bomb for the win as Kushida was taken out at ringside by Brutus. Odyssey Jones ran in to even the sides after the match, so I presume there's going to be a six-man tag coming soon. Kushida and Jiro had a full entrance with music, a logo, everything. I thought this was going to be a one-time tag team, but it was actually a bit depressing to find out that's not going to be the case. Kushida cannot be hamstrung with Jiro for too long. The guy needs to be able to shine and do his own thing. It's already been enough start and stop with him since he came to NXT, but if they have fun for a little while, that's okay. The Creeds look good again. Thanks mostly to Kushida and Jiro for being veterans and, and being able to bump for them. The match worked. The circumstances are concerning. Again, if Kushida wants to work with Jiro for a short period of time, that's okay. That cannot be a long-term tag team. Kushida is so much better than that. Andre Chase University was in session, teaching mental toughness. The students discussed Chase's mic issue last week. When Chase went off screaming at Gabriel, it was repetitive, but it was decent. The grizzled young veterans were shown planning to convince strangers they needed their help in order to use their phones to order delivery and steal food. Wade Barrett described them as scalawags. I just couldn't believe that this segment happened. It was so, so stupid. GYV doesn't need any dumb shit like this. They are great on the mic and in the ring. Their gimmick is literally in their name. I hope I never see anything like this with them again. I saw some people online liked it. I don't know where you're coming from. I just thought it was an absolute zero point zero. We had Cameron Grimes against Ru Fang. Duke Hudson came out 30 seconds in. Grimes hit a running boot, flying crossbody, and the cave-in for the squash win in a minute. Hudson confronted Grimes over his poker success last week through what chance from the crowd. Grimes didn't like being called a hick, saying he holds it down in the ring and everywhere else. Hudson challenged him to a poker showdown next week. I have no effing idea what that is or why I want to see it. Um, I absolutely loathe the poker gimmick for Hudson. It's 15 years too late, and this segment did not work for me at all. Grayson Waller fought LA Knight and Solo Sokoa. Waller told Sokoa that Knight was talking trash saying he called Sokoa solo because he can't get any girls. Knight came up to say he only talks trash to people's faces, so Solo just straight up challenged both of them to a triple threat. Knight convinced Waller to team up for a double superplex, but they argued and Sokoa countered with a pair of single-arm bombs from the ropes. Sokoa was definitely the face in the match. Waller hit a rolling cutter on Knight. Sokoa belly-to-belly suplexed him from the mat all the way over the ropes and outside the ring. It was awesome. Then Sokoa hit the Uso splash on Knight for the clean one, two, three. It was a really fun, but also short triple threat. The Knight and Waller storyline gets to continue while all three guys got their stuff in and Sokoa was able to shine with a big finish. Just really well booked from start to finish for the match itself. And everything about Solo works for me, except the hair. That still sucks. Uh, Tony D'Angelo told Indy Hartwell with Persia Parada that he's been looking for Dexter Loomis. He said he would pummel Loomis next week and then gave her a fish in a fish wrap, aka a newspaper, saying Dexter will get the message. Then he tipped Persia and walked off. It was nothing special. Electra Lopez fought Erica Yan. Uh, Electra was walking backstage, you know, on her way to the match when she told Zion Quinn through the camera she hoped he was watching. Legado del Fantasma was with Lopez at ringside, but Santos Escobar was conspicuous by his absence. 
Lopez squash Jan with a quick, very quick uh, pickup, sit down powerbomb for the one, two, three. Lopez said she gets what he she wants and she wants Quinn. Zion came out. She called him impressive and asked if he wants to join Legato. The fans chanted yes, but Zion said he cannot get down with Legato. He got pushed from behind, so he took the guys out. Then he wrapped up Electra before letting her go. It was an interesting dynamic here with Quinn and Lopez, but why is she making faction invitations? And where is Escobar? I believe I saw Escobar was in Mexico on vacation last week, so maybe he's still there. That's why he was absent. They just should have held the storyline until he gets back, unless the whole idea is that he's going to be angry with her that she went ahead and tried to do that. But the whole thing was just a little strange. Kyle O'Reilly was backstage unsure whether to wrestle singles or team with Von Wagner permanently. Imperium laughed at O'Reilly wanting to go after the titles and stood up to him. Wagner asked if they had a problem, and Imperium said, not on your best day. I just can't find myself caring about Kyle. Nothing has worked for him since the Undisputed Era split up. Carmelo Hayes fought Pete Dunne in a non-title match. Dunne backstage dared Tony D'Angelo to talk shit to his face like he did on TV last week. Dunne said he's the baddest man in NXT when Trick Williams ran his mouth and Melo dared Dunne to fight. Dunne hit an X-plex on the apron early in the match. Melo later hit a sick code breaker where Dunne flipped vertically over his knees, which was really cool. Dunne got a near fall on a sit-down powerbomb and Hayes kept countering him with fun spots, including a rotating move into a Gargano escape. Dunn stopped interference from Trick by stomping his hands. Dunn then got choked on the bottom rope as Loomis took Trick down outside. A hand grabbed Hayes' leg from under the ring apron as Dunn caught him with the bitter end, pinning the North American champion. Johnny Gargano appeared and gave dueling thumbs ups with Loomis as Dunn just shrugged in the ring. There, there were three different This Is Awesome chants, an NXT chant, and a Fight Forever chant all in this match. The NXT crowd as a whole, was better than the Raw crowd in Louisville, Kentucky one night earlier. This match was so much fun. Mello is really good on his own, but Dunn made him look like a star. I went 3.75s and a B-plus for the match. Dunn got a necessary win, while the Mello-Gargano feud continued progressing. It all worked. And sometimes, it really is as simple as that. That was a good one, yeah. And then lastly, NXT announced that War Games will be held on Sunday, December 5th. It was the same logo with NXT and camouflage, and what looked like some paintball shots of color on the War Games uh, name. I did not see it or hear it called NXT TakeOver War Games, which absolutely concerns me because I was really hoping that would continue. I have no idea what War Games is going to look like in design or execution, but I'm glad that they are keeping this as a signature event. It is December 5th. We only really have about three weeks to build to it, so that is a bit rushed but I am really curious at what it's going to look like. And I also am curious whether it's going to be in the Performance Center. I assume it's going to be, but it would be really cool if they found a venue that could hold more people and actually did something with it. I just don't think they're going to go to that length. So that's NXT this week. Uh, It was a good show, not a great show, nothing spectacular. Good moments, as I also mentioned, a number of head scratchers that I just was not particularly fond of. And that's it for today's show as well. I want to thank you all for listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. A reminder that getting over always is all about defied. So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That way you can participate in our pre and post show AEW Full Gear uh, polls. That way you know when our episodes are released, especially the instant analysis late Saturday night. Uh, excited for this pay-per-view. Excited for us to go through another week of 
getting over. In addition to that instant analysis on Saturday, we will be back, of course, the following Tuesday with the latest WWE episode. So with all of that, I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.